I wanted to uh, be in that video because Oreo double stuffs are my absolute favorite. You ever untwist them and make it a quadruple stuff? Anyone? 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 Anyone fat like me? Anyone? Right? So, love that stuff. Welcome to Grace, everybody. Hey, uh, before we get uh, talking uh, about our conversation this weekend, just want to let you know that, uh, if you didn't know already, that we had a great launch at the extension last week. So we can really praise God for that. Very excited about the, uh, the buy-in and the turnout over there. And uh, things went well. The place looks beautiful if you haven't got to see it yet. And a great team of people leading it and had a tremendous response. So praising God for that. That's a very, very big deal. And uh, something that you all have invested in uh, greatly and lots of time and energy and money. And uh, it was great to see a, a real success, a great kickoff there uh, the first weekend. So if you get a chance, check it out. And uh, you'll, you'll be glad that you did. Well, we're in a series right now called The Imitation Brand. And in this uh, series, what we're doing is we're looking at different cultural ideals that tell us or teach us that we, it will make us happy or move us toward kind of a satisfaction of the soul. And we're taking those ideas and we're just critiquing them. And we're comparing them against what the Bible says, where God says, this will satisfy your soul. This will give you life, and we're seeing what some of the flaws of those ideas might be, uh, seeing some of the ways that we would, we would buy in or not buy in, and then uh, try to understand the path that God would have us go down. Now, some of these ideas are benign. They're not that, that big of, the, of a deal, really. Others are incredibly a big deal because it gets into our soul and how we would look to seek for salvation, what we would look for uh, for happiness and fulfillment. And the Bible says that some of these ideas lead to death. They're going to take us to a place of spiritual death. All of Christ's truth takes us to a place of spiritual life. In fact, Jesus says that. He says, I've come to give you life. I've come to give you eternal life or to save your eternal soul and life to the fullest, a fulfilling, a meaningful, a purposeful life, kind of why we're on the planet. So some ideas are shallow, like what football team do you like the most? Obviously, God cheers for Ohio State. Look what he did for them last night. But others are deep, like where do I find love? What do I invest my life in? Those kind of things. And that's the ideas that we're critiquing and we're looking at a little bit. Now, a lot of these ideas we buy into, not because we're rebellious against God, but because we just don't know better. There's two kind of ways that the Bible addresses when we go down a wrong path. Uh, the first way is kind of the idea of rebellion, where I know what God wants, I, I know the Bible, I've been taught it, and I, I'm not going to do that, right? So I rebel against God and I go down a path that leads to death. The other way that the Bible kind of addresses this is through the biblical concept of ignorance, ignorance. Now, to define it a little bit, because in our culture, the word ignorant is a harsh word. So if I called you an ignorant person, I would have insulted you deeply, right? In the Bible, the word ignorance isn't usually used that way. It's usually used in more of the, the concept of just being unlearned, or I'm not a learned person. So I, I didn't know. I was ignorant of that. I didn't know. And so the Bible says ignorance can also take us down that path. We just didn't know. Nobody ever taught us. We're raised in a culture. Everybody and everything in that culture kind of said, if you want the American dream, if you want to be happy, if you want to be fulfilled, do these things, right? And we all just were kind of raised that way. And we're ignorant or we just don't know 
what God's word says. And a lot of times that's why we buy into the imitation brand. It looks like it's gonna make us happy. It looks like it, it seems right, it seems normal. Everybody's doing it. But the further we go down it, the further we realize, wow, this isn't at all what I was looking for or what I wanted. And as I move down that pathway, it moves me away from God where there is another way, God's way, the direction of the Bible, and I move down that pathway, it's gonna take me closer and closer to God. So what we're gonna do, what we're doing in this series is we're just looking at some of the big, there's a bazillion of these things, right? But we're looking at some of the really, really big ones that show up in our life all the time, and we're, we're just critiquing it, that's all. We're just looking and saying, wait, has this worked? Does that make a lot of sense? And if you compare it against what God's word says, it will start to expose the imitation, right? And it'll start to help us know what to do. And we'll lose kind of that ignorance because we'll learn what God's word has, has to say to us. So the first one of these that we're gonna look at is this kind of cultural myth and idea. And it's this idea. It's the idea that I can have my soul satisfied through other people, that I can have my soul satisfied through other people, that if I met the right person, if I had the right friends, if my parents weren't insane, if my children weren't of the devil, right? if, I, if, I, if the people around me functioned the way that I wanted them or needed them to function, that would bring me satisfaction, happiness, and fulfillment. And that's something that our culture would teach all the time, and I would argue, and I'm going to here for the next few minutes, that that is a imitation brand. Now, this is, a, this is an imitation, it's a false pathway that we struggle with a lot. And something uh, happened to me this week as I was uh, getting this talk ready, um, I was looking at the Bible, and all of a sudden, I started to realize that I really struggle with this, which was a real bummer, because I usually prepare these things to make you feel bad about stuff, and so I don't really like it when God gets me. I just feel like that's unfair, and I'm above it. But, the, <laughs> but as, as I was uh, studying this, I, I, I did, seriously, I did. I, I looked, and I thought, oh my word, I really struggle with this. But I went home one night, and Heidi and I had this long conversation, and I said, I, I've kind of, God kind of showed me something about myself as I was digging at this idea. I struggle with it, and I bet you that you struggle with it a lot too, that you look to other people to help make you happy and fulfilled. So this is how this is gonna, how this works, how it shows up in my life. So for instance, I will often look to my wife Heidi, and I will look to her and I will think, I, I don't think it, I just act it more. It's, I look at her and I think to myself, if you would behave properly, I wouldn't feel insecure. If you, if, you, if you were doing different things, I wouldn't feel insecure. If you would respond to me differently, I wouldn't feel lonely anymore. That I feel lonely, and the problem is you. You aren't taking that away from me, and that's your job. In fact, I know Bible verses, I can prove it, right? If you would behave properly, I wouldn't have these wants, needs, and desires in my soul. I do this to my children. One of my life goals is to be a good father, right? When I die, I want my kids to look and say, our dad was a good dad. And I had a great dad, and I want my kids to think of me the way that I think of my old man, right? So I want that. I can look at my kids, and I can think, I want you 
to respond to me a certain way because I have some life goals. I have some insecurities. I have some wants, needs, and desires. I want to be an effective father, and you need to respond to my efforts to be an effective father. And if you don't respond to my efforts to be an effective father, that's really going to frustrate me. So when I impart wisdom to you, I need you to look at me and say, yes, father, please tell me more, you know? We've, we've adopted from Britain, so it's like, right? So like, I need you to respond. I need you to turn out this way. I need you to behave this way. I need you to think this way, not because it's good for you or because it's best for you, but because it reflects on me and my efforts and my life goals. I can look at my friends this way. I can look at my friends and I can, I can look at my friends and say, I need you to respond to me a certain way. I have needs, I have desires, I have longings that are soul level things. I need you to take those things away from me. If you were a better friend, if you encouraged me more, if you realized that I was in pain, if you understood what I was going through, if you were different, then I wouldn't feel this way. I can even look at the church, see? I can look at all of you and say, hey, I, you guys got to step it up here, right? Because I have, a, I have what I feel is a calling from God to, to lead his church. You got to respond right or to affirm my calling. Like you got to do what God said I said you should do, right? You got you to tell me that God affected your life. You got to tell me that, that I, I communicate so well. You got to look at me and say, you're just sexy and you know, thanks, Captain Obvious. But you got, you got to, see, if you don't feed back to me, then I don't know if I'm doing what God wants me to do or if my ministry's fulfilling or not. And I can, I found this, you do too, I can look to other people and I have a thought process because of the culture I was raised in that if the people in my life interacted with me at the level of my expectations, that would make my life go well and I would be happy and I would be secure and I would be fulfilled and I would even feel like I was being effective for God, right? Now, we all have that. And that is something, by the way, that longing, that need, that desire, there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, I'll go so far to argue that that's actually placed in us by God. God is the one who created us to want to love and want to be loved. That's part of being created in the image of God. I want to love and I need to be loved. A tree doesn't have that need, right? A dog, despite what you think, doesn't have that need. A cat is of the devil anyways. It's gonna have nothing to do with that, right? So I, I, as a human being, I want to love and I need to be loved. That's not the problem. The problem is, where do I look to have that want, need, and desire fulfilled? Where do I look to find satisfaction for my soul? Now, it's fascinating what the Bible says. So grab your Bibles real quick. Let me show you some stuff. Open up to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Galatians, chapter 5. It's page 813 of the Bibles there in your chairs. If you want to use those, if you have an electronic device, it's, uh, we use the version app, Y-O-U version. Hit live or Grace Church. Our zip code is 44333. So Galatians chapter five, look at this. 
This is what God said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, verse 22, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit in the older translations is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I would look at another human being and I would think to myself, that's what I want. Fact, deeper, that's what I need. I need other people to love me and to love me unconditionally. I, I need other people to be patient with me because you know, I'm, I'm just trying to make it through life. So I need you to be patient with me. When I fail, when I'm immature, when I act stupidly, I need you to be patient with me. I need other people to be kind and good to me, right? I, I need to feel safe and secure. I need to know that there's friends out there that, that seek things for my benefit. They're not looking to manipulate and steal from me. So I need that in my life. I need, I need people who are gentle and self-controlled. When, when I go home and I do something dumb and it affects Heidi, I need her to respond to my stupidity with gentleness and self-control, right? I need her to not karate chop my spine, right? I need that from other people. If I make a mistake and I look at my boss or I look at a friend and say, hey, I screwed up, I need them to respond to me with gentleness and self-control. I need people who will look out for me, who put my needs above their own needs, people who will trust me, who aren't jealous of me. I need people in my life, I need input into my life of love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sounds good, doesn't it? We all need it. That resonates with all of us. I'll show you another thing. Flip over to the left in your Bible a little bit. The book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is another passage that we would love. We, we would read this and think, oh, this is what I need in my life, right? We would love it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. This is what love is like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Ah, that's what I need. So I need somebody to love me like that. In fact, if you're a Bible person, you, you, you might know that passage really well because it's on all of the Afghans that you've ever bought. And, and you might bring that into your marriage relationship. And if your spouse malfunctions, you might look and say, hey, love is not easily angered. Calm down, big boy, right? <laughs> love keeps no records of wrong, sister, right? You're not even allowed to remember. We'll use stuff like this as a club because we want it. We expect it. We look at another human being and we think on a deep level, if somebody would just love me like that, if somebody would just bring kind of these character qualities to bear on my life, there's something in my soul that needs that to be satisfied so that I feel happy and fulfilled and complete as a human being, right? Now, what's the problem? What's the problem? The problem is that these qualities are something that only God possesses in a perfect measure. So God can love me like this. God loves me for who I am, warts and all. God, God knows your secrets, right? He, he knows exactly what you did last night. 
right? And he loves you. Anyways, God is patient, right? God is not easily angered. He's merciful. God is fair. God is just. God protects. So when I long for that in my soul, the reason that that's been built into me as a human being by my creator God is so that I will long for God because he can give those things into my life and he can love me and respond to me at the deepest levels of how I need to be loved and responded to. The Bible says that as I accept Christ as my savior, when I do, the Holy Spirit fills me and these qualities start to be dimly, is the word the Bible uses, dimly or poorly or weakly reflected through me. So when you receive patience from me, it's not because Jeff is a patient person, right? Jeff's a jerk. What, what you get from me is you get elements of God transforming my life. So there are moments that you will receive patience from me, and then there's moments that you will not. There are moments that you'll receive gentleness from me, and there are moments that you will not. There are moments that I will not keep a record of wrong. Oh, I'm so quick to forget. And then there's moments I remember every single detail of what you ever did, right? Because God is reflected dimly or poorly through me. Now, here's the catch. When I look to another human being and I have these needs, desires, and longings in my soul, and I look to another human being and I say, you must satisfy that in me. And that human being looks back at me and says, I can't do that. Heidi, you've got to make my insecurities go away. Kids, you've got to feel, me, feel like I've invested my life well. Friends, you better never let me down. You have to love me perfectly. When I take those longings, needs, and desires that only God can fulfill in me, and I hope or insist that another human being do that for me, I have set that person up for failure and myself up for disillusionment. Heidi can't love me perfectly. You know why? You know what Heidi's problem is? I'm gonna tell you, don't tell her. She's not here this morning. She's over the extension. Don't tell her, right? Here's Heidi's problem. Heidi's problem is she's not God. You know what's wrong with my kids? Your kids are demon possessed. But you know what's wrong with my kids? My kids aren't God. So when I turn to them and say, fill this God need in me, guess what they can't do? And I turn to them and say, you, you, if, if you just behaved properly, I wouldn't have this kind of hole in my soul. And it's a lie. It's an imitation. It's a falsehood. It's a deceit. Because they can't do what only God can do. And when I insist on that in other people, and I demand it, and I want it, because that's what the culture told me, right? I don't usually know that I'm doing this. I was just raised this way. The culture told me, if I had a perfect marriage, I would be happy. If I had great kids, I would be happy. If I had dear friends, then I would be happy. If I could invest my life well, then I would be happy. When I insist on that and demand that from another person, 
What happens is I push them away from me and I push Christ away from me and I wind up being very isolated. In, in our effort to get other people to fill God needs in us, what happens is we will in, inevitably start to behave in a very unhealthy way toward other people. Because we have this need and we need this need filled and we were told to go get that filled from people. So for instance, in order to get this need met in us, we will start to become very controlling of other people because I'm insisting that you do something that you can't do. So I'm gonna start to control my kids. You better, you better slap a smile on your face, buddy, when you get out of this Honda Odyssey minivan, the official minivan of Grace Church. You, you better, because we're a happy Christian family. See? You better get good grades. You better make the football team. You better behave this way. You better not do this. You better go ahead and do this. I'm going to control you because you have to perform because I have to have that need met in me. I'm going to control my spouse. You, you have to do this. You have to respond to me this way. You have to compliment me this way. You have to want me this way. You have to show up this way because I need you to fill that void in my life. You're going to control your friends. You gotta, you gotta text me three times a day, and you gotta, you gotta put me up as your profile on Facebook, and you gotta invite me to all your parties. And what do you mean you met a guy? We're best friends, and now you're dating that guy. See? And we're just gonna start to control the people around us because we're trying to pry out of them an affection, a love, a fulfillment that they can't deliver because they're not God. And the more we double down on that unhealthy behavior, the further we push them away from us and the further we push God away from us. I'm gonna start to make unhealthy decisions, see, because I've been taught this and so I double down on it. If it didn't work the first time, I'm gonna try harder go deeper into it because it's the only thing I ever was taught to do. So I'm gonna to start to make very unhealthy decisions. So I'm gonna to start, to, uh, to start to perform. If I am the highest achiever there is, then people are gonna to have to love me, see? So when, I, when I'm in the sixth grade, I'm just gonna be that obnoxious kid that shows off all the time, right? When I'm 70 years old, I'm gonna be that obnoxious guy that drives that sports car and dresses like he's 20. You know, that guy, right? Because you gotta, I gotta be the best and I gotta make it and I gotta, and if I achieve at a high enough level, then you're going to have to love me. Maybe that doesn't work. So what I'm gonna do instead is I'm gonna use my body to get affection. See, if I just look really, really good, if I just can stay young, I got my lifestyle lift, I got my sweet clothes, I got my hair dye. If I just stay really, really young, if I get in fantastic shape, if I can be attractive enough, then people will have to love me. If that doesn't work, then what I'll do is I'll start to use my body in a sexual way. I'm gonna start to dress immodestly. The shorter the shorts, the shorter the skirt, the tinier the bikini, is that, that's for you? Oh yeah, this is just so comfortable to go out in. Really? Why are we doing that? Because I want someone to look at my body. Why? Because it does something, I think, for my soul. 
And then the culture would say, and you keep going. If you love somebody, you sleep with them, right? You just, it's just what you do. You just sleep with them. Sometimes you don't even have to love them. You just need a hookup. And, and now sex, sex feels like love in the moment. So I'm going to behave in morally. We're going to double that down, and after we really are committed to each other, we'll, we'll move in, we'll live together, because that feels like commitment. So wait a minute, you, you think she's wonderful? Yeah. And you're sleeping with her, so you think she's hot? Yeah. And you say you love her, so you moved in with her? Uh-huh. Why don't you marry her? <laughs> you know, let's not rush this. Why not? Why not? What, what's the problem? Oh, you mean your love isn't unconditional. What you're craving is commitment. What you got is a shack up. And there's a condition, there's a stop. But nobody wants to talk about that. Because I want this from you. But I can only really get it from God. See how that works? And, and this, this is the way everybody lives. It makes sense if you don't know there's an alternative. See, it, makes, it makes all, it's not like people are idiots, it's just all we've ever been taught. It makes all kinds of sense. Unless you start to realize, well, what am I actually looking for? I'm looking to be loved deeply and perfectly and unconditionally. That human being isn't gonna do that for you. They can't, they're not God. But there is a God who will do that for you. And the problem is, the more we chase this, the further we get away from him. Now, this is where this conversation gets intense, right? We have this legitimate desire. Those desires can only be met by God, but I'm attempting to get people to meet them for me. That's kind of where we're at. So I behave in these ways. I start making these decisions. I start having this kind of unhealthy response to human beings, that unhealthy response to human beings will ultimately cause me to act in an ungodly way toward Christ. All of a sudden, it's not benign anymore. Now I'm actually rebelling against God. Now, How's that going to play and what does that sound like? It's not gonna sound like, you know what? Today I decided to rebel against God. It's not gonna sound like that. It's gonna sound like this. <clears throat> My husband is an idiot, all right? And, and guys, I get these emails from your wife all the time, right? My husband is an idiot. He doesn't lead our family. He has a bad temper. All he ever does is watch football. He's a jerk. This is what Heidi would say about me, but, right? He, my husband is an idiot. If my husband wasn't an idiot, then I would follow him, support him, help him, and give the best of myself to him, like God tells me to. But the reason I don't do that is because of this. He's not meeting my needs. My wife is the devil, right? She's a and then after I said, I, what? She goes, and by the way, this is how it sounds to us ladies. And she never has sex with me. If my wife wasn't nagging me, 
And if she responded to me, and if I had a sex life, maybe I wouldn't be into porn. If my wife met my needs, I would honor Christ. My parents are diphthongs. I'm 17 now. I know how to function in life. (laughs) My parents are the dumbest human beings that ever walked the face of the earth. I would do what my mom and dad said and I wouldn't be sneaky and I wouldn't be deceitful and I wouldn't be rebellious if they weren't idiots. I know that God says to honor my father and mother as unto the Lord, but my parents are idiots. All of a sudden what happens is our response to Christ becomes predicated on our desires being met from human beings. If they behaved properly, I would respond to Jesus properly. But because they don't, because of their actions and because of their attitudes and because of their responses, I'm not going to. In other words, they are gonna define me, they are gonna direct me, they are gonna control me, If they did this, and if they did that, and if they did that, then I would worship and honor and obey God. Instead, these people over here is the defining factor of my life. And what happens when other people's behavior starts to dictate our life, and our response to Christ is predicated on other people's behavior, when I do that, even though I probably don't realize this is what I'm doing, I'm allowing a human being to dictate the position of my heart in lieu of Christ. In other words, a human being is ruling and reigning in my heart instead of Christ. And when that happens, that's what the Bible calls idolatry. Something besides Christ is driving me. Something, someone besides Christ is who I look to for fulfillment. Someone besides Christ is who I trust and hope for and give affection to. And if they don't respond to me, then I'm not gonna respond to Christ. And that is my golden calf then. It's idolatry because that's not working, I brought it to Jesus, and suddenly he won't bless my cow. And that's going to affect and distant my relationship with God. And without realizing it, I actually created an idol. I've asked someone to be God, and I'm disillusioned that they can't be. And they are defining my life. And that disillusionment then distances me from God because I've asked him to bless this and he won't, he doesn't, he can't. And the more I get disillusioned from God, the more I pull back from God, the more ungodly I become and the harder I press into these unhealthy behaviors to get them to be God, which they can't be. And it's a cycle. And it's a cycle that we all struggle with. And it is the cycle, it's the relational cycle of our culture. And it plays out a thousand ways. I quit talking to a person. I won't forgive somebody. I hate my enemy. I divorce her. I get a new one. Oh, what do you know? I got the same problems over here. Why? Because we're human beings. And she can't make me happy any more than she can make me happy. And he can't make me happy any more than he can make me happy. 
Why? Because they're not God. They're not God. And my walk with God is weak, and my walk with God is distant, and the passionate longings of my heart are faded because I turn to this person and demand when I need to turn to God who freely gives and would fulfill. It's fascinating what the psalmist says about this, or the proverbist, I guess I should say, in Proverbs chapter four, flip way back in your Bibles there. Proverbs chapter four, giving, speaking of wisdom and life investment, the, the Solomon says this, this very thing, says this very thing, Proverbs chapter four, verse 18, page 451. He says, it's, it, listen, it's, it, it's like a warning. He says this, the path of righteousness is like the morning sun shining even brighter till the full light of day. The more you go down the path of righteousness, the more you find life. Life gets better and better, sweeter and sweeter, closer and closer to God, more fulfilled, more fulfilled. Not because Jesus gave you a flat screen and a new car, but because you're moving toward the creator that you were created to have an intimate relationship with. It's good, that's where righteousness takes you. Verse 19, but the way of the wicked is like a deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble, right? Everybody does this, it's not working. I, I don't even know why it's not working. We broke up, I got a new girlfriend. I felt great for a month and now she's crazy too. Why? This doesn't work, see? And we don't even know why we're stumbling. We're on this path, we're tripping, because it's taking us away from God and we don't even realize it. Verse 20, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to my words, to wisdom. Do not let them out of your sight, keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Verse 23, above all, above all advice, all counsel, all direction, all caution, above all, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. When I demand from Heidi that she is God to me, not only have I made her an idol and caused her to demand something of her that she can't do, I have also turned my back on the one true God who could do these things. It's not because Heidi is crazy, it's because Jeff is not walking with Jesus. Children, you better, there's this unbelievable pressure on you better. It's not because the kids are immature, the kids can't perform, or the kids are rebellious. It's because Jeff's heart is in the wrong place. If I'm looking fulfillment for fulfillment for my children instead of from my God. And the deeper I go down that path, the more I'm gonna trip and fall, and I don't even know why, because this is the path everybody taught me to go down. And the Bible says there's this whole different way. See? There's this whole other direction where I run to God. And all of a sudden, the heart positions correctly. And when the heart is positioned correctly, the rest of life will line up because life moves from the heart up. So it's a good news, bad news scenario. The bad news is that no matter how far I go down this path, it's not gonna do it. No way, it leads to death. The good news is this. 
when I guard my heart and I instill Jesus and Jesus is defining me and he's directing me and I have faith and I'm trusting and I'm believing and I'm being guided by God's word and I'm locked into that. When I lock into Jesus, when I position him correctly in my heart, it will position the people around me correctly in my heart. Because I can love Heidi, I need to love Heidi, I do love Heidi, but I can't worship her. I love my children, I, I love them more than anything in life, but I can't worship them. So when I create, when I allow Christ to be in his proper place and I'm worshiping who I need to worship, guess what happens? The people in my life shift into their proper place. And I start responding to Christ instead of to people. And when those people shift into their proper place, this is what happens. This is the good news, ready? The amount of tension that releases from that relationship is indescribable. What a relief to Heidi that she doesn't have to be God because she's really no good at it. What a relief to my friends. They don't have to be God. Do you know why you don't have to be God? Oh, thank God. And those relationships decompress because my demands drop through the floor because I let them out of something that they can't do anyways. See how that works? I worship Christ and Christ alone. And I don't necessarily get up in the morning and think, I'm going to create an idol for myself. I just kind of do. But if I learn that, I recognize how wide apart these two things are. God's word directs me back to his heart and then deeper and deeper in relationship with him. Now, I want to put some uh, handles on this for us because it's a big conversation, kind of hard to get our heads around in some ways. So I want to give you some, some handles here. So I'm, we'll call these ingredients to get what you want the most out of life, okay? So here's three things that we can do to get what we want the most out of life. Number one, encourage you to identify ways that you've been asking other people to be God, right? And identify ways you're asking other people to be God. When you look at your husband and say, you've got to meet my needs, 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 you're asking him to be God, he can't do it, right? Look at your kid, you've got you to love mommy, you've got to love mommy, you've got to love daddy, you've got to love daddy. You're not sure you love daddy? You want a new car? Now do you love daddy? Right, you've got you, to screw everybody up. Right? So just identify ways that, that you're asking people to be God. Release them of that and start enjoying them for who they are, not who you want them or even need them to be. Here's the second thing. Identify ways that you're behaving in an ungodly manner toward Christ. That you're behaving in an ungodly manner toward Christ. God, I would do this if he would do that. I would do this if they would do that. The, the problem is them. Mm, careful. Because what, what that means is that all the external relationships define your relationship with God. You just made them idols. My response to God is my response to God. And it supersedes the external things that are happening in my life. And it will orient those and put them in a proper place. So I, I start identifying that. Oh, man, you know what? I, I know what the Bible says about X, Y, Z. And I realize I don't, I don't do that. I refuse to do it. I don't want to do it. I, 
because my heart is hard toward this person, right? Last thing then, instill the real God. Instill the real God. And guys, this starts with salvation, of course. Where, where I look, this, this is, this is the, the bottom line of salvation. Where I, when I look at God and say, I will do this myself, but what I've done is I've made myself God. And God looks and says, actually, you're, you can't do that. You can't save yourself. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't put enough money in the basket, right? There's no way. I have to do this for you. So when I humble myself and I receive from God salvation, that's when I become saved or a follower of Christ or a Christian, right? That's the essence of salvation. I'm instilling God in my heart. I'm following him. He is the definer and director of who I am. And then that process, instilling God in my heart, is a reoccurring process. So every time I want to launch out at my kids to control them, I have to instill Christ in my heart. What would Jesus do in this moment, right? He'd strike him dead. That's what he would do. No, <laughs> you know? What would, what would he do in this moment? Would he look through a person? Would he be patient? Would he be kind, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? I can't manufacture that on my own, but I can invite kind of renew and re-invite Christ to manufacture that in me. God, I want to kill him. I need your self-control right now. God, I want to keep a record of wrong because I have a fantastic memory. I need you to throw their sin as far as the east is from the west in my own heart. See how that works? So I'm, I'm always inviting Jesus to be in his proper place in my heart and letting my idol go. I'm going to find fulfillment, happiness, joy, even kind of salvation from somebody who can't provide it for me. All right. I'm going to pray for us, and uh, as I pray, the band will come out, and then we're going to spend some time just with some worship and some singing, encourage you to think and pray through those times. Jesus, help us. Thank you so much for giving yourself to us that you do love us perfectly and that we can turn to you and we can receive that from you. And it's real, God. And, and Holy Spirit, you guide us to that on a deeper level through the word. God, help us to receive that more and more and more and then reflect that to others instead of demanding it from them. God, you have to renew our minds with this one. We, we've been raised completely differently, and you know that. You know the nuances of the lies that are ingrained in us. Expose them for what they are, and help us, Lord, to surrender those to your refinement. Change us. Allow us to be different people. God, in these next few moments, give us a stillness of our heart. Help us to sit and just be with you if you would work and kind of push deeply into us, expose these things to us, and then draw us closer and closer to you, we will be grateful. In your name, Jesus, amen.